following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Gone on belief. My Savior is near. And for my relief, will surely appear. My prayer let me wrestle, and He will perform. With Christ in the vessels, I smile at the storm. Dark be my way, since He is my guide. Tis mine to obey and His to provide. The cisterns be broken and creatures all fail. The word He has spoken shall surely prevail. His love in time past. Just the 
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I come to this broadcast day after day with a basic assumption. Now, you may challenge my assumption, but let me tell you what it is, and then let me tell you why I come with that assumption. The assumption I come with day after day is that the Christian church in America, in Washington, D.C., you, I come with a basic assumption about you, and that is that you are backslidden. Now, why would I have the assumption that you are backslidden and in need of revival? As I speak with people, I find them cold of heart toward Jesus. I find people confused about what the expectations of the scriptures are regarding your salvation. I find heresies believed that you can continue walking in your sin and you're still saved. I come with the assumption that you have backslidden because there is not an overflowing response from you of concern of contribution, of eagerness. I go to a church, and I do this in many different places at different times, and I see the worship service open with people struggling, dragging in at the last minute, I see them want to grab their cup of coffee or their donut before they go in. I see people coming to church dressed in all kinds of undress with no respect for God, meaning that they have a man-centered religion, not a God-centered faith. If they were really coming to be in the presence of God, they would not come dressed in their worst and most casual clothing. We would not go see the President of the United States dressed in shorts. They wouldn't let us in the White House. They would expect you to dress with respect. I see men and women after the service and before the service chit-chatting about the Steelers, or the Patriots, or about some other sporting team. I see men greeting one another with slaps on the back and jokes. To be very honest with you, I have yet to see a family walk into a church, be greeted by another family, and immediately fall to their knees in the foyer and begin to cry out to God and pray for the pastor and for the service. There is no concern. It is we are going to watch and enjoy a worship service. We are here as consumers. We expect to have a little entertainment. We expect to be inspired. We expect to hear a little bit of strategy for success, and then we're out of here. 
I have gone to many churches, and as soon as the benediction is said, people begin to engage in their dinner plans. They begin to engage in their social activities. They begin to talk about every worldly thing. It is in very few churches that I ever see men and women gather in a circle and begin to pray over a sick person and heal them. It is seldom that I have ever seen men and women, two women or two men, come together and begin to earnestly cry out to God and deal with some sin issue in their hearts. I just don't see this. Why? It's not normal Christian life. It is Western Christian life, but it's not the biblical model of church. It is not the confessing of our faults one to another and praying for one another. It's not the praying for the sick and crying out to God. We were in a meeting with a group of Christian men, and one of the men began to talk about the dire physical situation they were in. We all listened and then went on with our conversation. And when I left, the Holy Spirit rebuked me. He said, why didn't you pray for that man? Why didn't you call the others to pray for that man? I would have healed him. I wept before the Lord. For I too was caught up in the Western church And I sinned against Almighty God by not praying for that brother, by having no concern except human sympathy. Well, how far does human sympathy go in healing a man? Not very far, does it? I missed a wonderful opportunity to see God's marvelous grace. Why do I say you're backslidden? and in need of revival? Because most of you will participate eagerly in the entertainment of the world, either in the magazines, the novels, the television, the movies, the video games, all entertainment of the world. Hours wasted on YouTube videos, hours wasted on foolish, unimportant things that have no bearing on your salvation or your family's salvation, time spent traveling, enjoying the good things of life without concern for the poor, without concern For those who are less fortunate, oh, I dropped some money in the plate for the poor. No, that doesn't do it, does it? I see a church in America that has insulated itself from the world. We have our little social club. We do a few things in that little circle. But by and large, we don't touch the rest. 
I was reading MS-13, this wild gang coming out of L.A. and South America and Central America is now powerfully situated in Tacoma Park. Well, I love Tacoma Park. I've spent some of my happiest years living in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And I began to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, there are large churches. I was an associate pastor at a mega church in Tacoma Park. Never once did we ever think about how do we reach our community. It was always how do we build up the church. There was no thought for what was going to happen to Tacoma Park. One denomination had their headquarters in Tacoma Park for many years. They had a new building. They said, let's sell this building and let's move out into the countryside where it's much more pleasant. Really? I thought it was about being salt and light. The darkness overcame that denomination, and they moved their headquarters out of the city. You know, I see things like this, and it it breaks my heart. I'm very concerned. And so I come to you not to offend you, please, not to criticize you, please. I come because I see a casual wickedness in even the finest Christians, in pastors, in teachers, in people, in leadership. It is a casual indifference to the sin that is in the church. It's even in their own lives. How do I deal with this? I'm either faithful to God and bring a rebuke and try to expose this this wickedness, this casualness, and have all of you turn the radio off and stop giving and get angry with me. Or I bring messages that please you and then the cash flow is there and then I can be on radio. We're still short. Last month, $300 in pledges have has still not come in. How do we pay for that in pledges. Evidently, something happened to those people. They had good intentions, but I may have said something that offended them on the air, and so they've disappeared. I don't have names and phone numbers. I don't want them. But how am I to cover that? And in the prayer closet, in the early hours of this morning, long before it was daylight, I was crying out to God over this. And I was saying, Lord, do I try to please these people? I can't do that. I want to please you, Jesus. So you see the struggle that I'm having. I want to speak a straight, honest word of God, even if it makes people angry and they turn off the radio. 
I have an obligation in this city to stand for something. I can't think of anything I'd rather stand for than Jesus and righteousness and holiness and coming alive and revival. John Bunyan, in the 1600s, was a tinker. That is, he repaired pots and pans for a living. He went door to door. It was very difficult, dirty, hot work. That's what he did for a living. And then on the side, he preached every Sunday to the people who would gather in the house. It was a very poor family. The word of the Lord had come to John Bunyan. And the word of God to John Bunyan, as he gives it to us, was this. Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven, or have thy sins and go to hell? And he said, Lord, I want to go to heaven. I will leave my sin. And it changed his life. The problem comes when you don't even think you have sin because you have so grieved the Holy Spirit by your lust for television and your lust for sports and your lust for everything in the world and the flesh and the devil. You don't even know you have any sin. And so when I come and say, you're backslidden, you're cold of heart, you don't know Jesus, you get angry with me. And you say, how do you dare say this, Pastor? Switch, off goes the radio. No more donations to that man. He's a crazy lunatic. He's a fanatic. Say whatever you want to say. I'm putting you on notice. I'm going to come and teach Jesus and Jesus only. My father, many years ago when he was alive as I was just beginning the ministry. Said, Ray, preach Jesus and Jesus crucified. That's all. Or David Wilkerson, Pastor David Wilkerson from Times Square Church. He was my precious pastor. He was up on the platform and I'd gone from the platform where I'd been with him during the service to the main auditorium to pick up my coat. He saw me and he waved me over. He got down on one knee on that high platform at Times Square Church and he shook his finger right in my face. And with utmost seriousness, he said to me, Ray, preach judgment with mercy. I come every day trying to be faithful to that charge, both from my father and from my father in the faith. Now I'm going to share with you the opening of Pilgrim's Progress once more. I think it is vital that we hear this and understand it and not simply bypass it and say, that's not me. This is the number one allegory in the English language. It was published first in 1678. It's been in continuous publication ever since. It is second only to the Bible in the number of books that have been published.
he writes from the prison cell as I walk through the wilderness of this world I came to a certain place where there was a cave I think he has reference to his prison cell and I lay down in that place to sleep and as I slept I dreamed a dream and in this dream I saw a man clothed in rags standing in a place with his face turned away from his own house and he had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back I looked and saw him open the book and began to read and as he read he wept and trembled not being able to contain himself he cried out in a loud voice what shall I do Bunyan does not say I looked and saw him turn the television on and begin to watch and as he watched he wept and trembled not being able to contain himself he cried out in a loud voice what shall I do no no one ever ever does that watching the television or playing the movies or gambling or drinking or drugging no one ever does that committing adultery nobody ever fornicating is convicted and says wow this is great it's convicting me now what do i do next no they're carried away in the lust of their flesh no he he's dressed in rags do you understand until you recognize your rags of indifference of coldness of heart of hardness of heart until you are willing to recognize the rags of your religion that are not vibrant with love for Jesus, a heart poured out, willing to go through every tribulation, willing to sacrifice everything for the kingdom of God, willing to say, Jesus, I belong to you, heart, soul, and mind. I am yours. Then you have not recognized your rags. And so I come trying to talk about your rags and you get mad with me and you don't call and you don't write and you don't give so what shall I do shall I change the message I can't do that with integrity because I'm not here to be successful I'm here to arouse you to your spiritual condition, to cry out to you and say, my brother, my sister, will you turn? Will you get serious with Jesus? Will you begin to devour the word of God? Will you begin to fast and pray? Will you do business with God? Will you turn from every wicked thing? Will you turn off your television? Will you take a break from your cell phone and your computer? Will you turn off the wicked video games? Will you begin to seek after Jesus with all of your heart? Will you stop making judgments against other people? Will you turn from bitterness of heart and rage and malice? Will you, will you give up your offense? And will you seek Jesus with all of your heart? 
Bunyan saw this man clothed in rags until you're willing to look at your rags and acknowledge them and understand as you read this Bible, you'll begin to look and feel and see the heavy burden on your back, the burden of sin. We need revival. But you know what I hear people say? Oh, pastor, we need revival. But don't ask me to change anything I'm doing. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't confront me with my laziness. Don't confront me with my lack of of interest in prayer. When was the last time you spent all night praying? Have you ever done that? When was the last time you shed real tears before God because you acknowledged your need before Him or you were acknowledging the need of a brother or a sister for Jesus? Have you ever wept over another person and their salvation? Have you ever cared enough to cry and weep for your pastor and lift him up and encourage him? Have you ever wept for me? Have you ever prayed for me? I need that. I need your intercession. I can't do this alone. Do you understand? Until you begin to recognize the rags of your heart and you begin to recognize the heavy burden of sin on your back, You cannot be revived. You'll just slowly cool more and more. And you'll finally end up going to hell. Because there's no hope for you. You won't wake up. You're comfortable in your religion. Your rituals. Your programs. Your social circle. And if anybody comes and dares suggest that there should be an awakening, oh, pastor, you're just being negative. You're just being negative. Oh, my brother, my sister. Bunyan says, I looked and saw him open the book and begin to read. And as he read, he wept and trembled. Have you ever opened the Bible and as you read it, weep and tremble before a holy God? Have you ever been unable to contain yourself before God and you've cried out, What shall I do, O God? What can I do, O God? I'm lost. I'm religious, but I'm lost. You're far from me, O God. Have you ever prayed that? Well, in this condition, he goes home. He tries to keep himself for as long as he can so that his wife and children wouldn't see him in this distress. But after a short time, his anguish had increased so much that he couldn't remain silent. So he began to share with his wife and children what was on his troubled mind. This is what he told them. Dear wife and children, I'm greatly troubled by this burden that torments me and grows and weighs so heavy upon me. 
Moreover, I've received information that the city in which we live will be burned with fire from heaven. When this happens, all of us will be destroyed, unless by a way I do not yet see some way of escape will be found so that we may be delivered. They thought he was losing his mind. Do you understand? Jesus said there's a narrow way and there's a broad way. And he said most are going to go the broad way. And they build beautiful churches on the broad way. How can you identify a church that's on the broad way? Well, everything is about program and growth. Everything is about the music. Everything is about the program. Everything is about everybody getting along to go along. Nobody confesses their sins. Well, that's my private business. I don't want to talk about my sin. Somebody will think poorly of me. That's the broad, that's the broad road church. Don't ask me to, to deal with my sin. I'm fine. I'm on my way to heaven. Jesus loves me unconditionally. As soon as you hear that word, unconditional love, know that that preacher is a Broadway preacher. There's no such thing in Scripture as unconditional love. If there was unconditional love, there could be no hell. Because God could not cast any man into hell if he loved every man unconditionally. He loves every man unfailingly, and he offers to every man the way of salvation. That's not unconditional love. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have unconditional love. You have very conditional love. Oh, I love my kids unconditionally. Do you? What if they kill your dog? What if they burn your house down maliciously? Will you move them into your next house? What if your what if your teenage son murders your wife? Mister, will you have unconditional love for that son who murdered your wife? Will you do your best to keep him out of prison? No, I don't think so. See, unconditional love is a is a myth of the American church that is permissive and squishy-hearted with no sense of reality. Now, this man, Christian, he says, this town is going to be burned with fire from heaven, and when it happens, all of us will be destroyed unless by a way I do not yet see some way of escape can be found so that we may be delivered. They thought he was losing his mind. So they put him to bed, and all through the night there were sighs and tears. When morning came, they asked, how are you doing? And he said, worse and worse. They became cold toward him. They started treating him rudely. Most of the time, they just tried to ignore him. I understand being ignored. I've experienced that a great deal of the time. 
So he began retiring to his private room to pray for them and to pity them and to try to find consolation for his own misery. He would often walk alone in the field, sometimes reading, sometimes praying, and for a long time, that's how he spent his days. Then one day, I saw the man walking in the fields, reading his book, greatly distressed in his mind. As he read, he burst out, as he'd done before, crying, What shall I do to be saved? And there was a man there, someone by the name of Evangelist. He said, Why are you crying out? Sir, I understand from reading the book in my hand that I'm condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment. I'm not willing to do the first, nor am I able to do the second. You might want to look at Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 27. Hebrews nine twenty-seven. Maybe we ought to just read it quickly together. Let me turn to Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 27. Here it is. Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. To die once, and then face judgment. That's what's going to happen to us. Every man is going to die, and then face the judgment. Now, in that judgment, will you sink down to hell? Or will you be taken up in glory? Now, this man, Christian, says, I can't do that. I don't want to die. Because I'm afraid that the burden that's on my back will sink me lower than the grave. And I'm going to fall into hell. Well, then the evangelist says, Why are you standing still? Because I don't know where to go. He gave him a parchment. He unrolled it. He read it. Flee from the wrath to come. Which way do I run? Christian asked. An evangelist, pointing with his finger to a very wide field, asked, Do you see that distant, narrow gate? No. Do you see that distant shining light? I think I do. Keep that light in your eye and go up directly toward it, and soon you will see the narrow gate. When you finally come to the gate, knock, and you will be told what to do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now that's what we call revival. When a man becomes awakened to the rags of his life, of his religion. Oh, there is such depth in Jesus. There is such compassion and mercy in Jesus. He is today our precious Redeemer. But the day is going to come when he will be the judge. 
And the scriptures are replete with stories that Jesus told about what's going to happen in that great day. Let me read just just one for you, please. It's found in Luke, the 13th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 22. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem, and someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, why would they ask Jesus that question? Unless they believed Jesus was teaching that most people would not be able to enter in. He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. That word, make, is literally in the Greek, to agonize. Agonize with all of your being to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and will not be able to. Many of you today, who are good religious people, who call yourselves Christians, have been unwilling to lay it all down. And so if I were to meet you right now, and I can tell you if I met you, this would be the first question out of my mouth. Are you still walking in any known sin? Are you clean before God? If you answer me, I'm still walking in sin, Pastor. There is no excuse for you. There is a burden on your back. And you must get to Jesus. You must get to the narrow gate. Please understand me. You cannot repent of one sin at a time and expect to enter into heaven. Repentance is not one sin at a time. Repentance is the whole deal. I give my life to Jesus, and now I am going to search after him with all of my heart. I am going to search after Jesus. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to back up. I am earnest. I am taking a hold of the kingdom of God, and I am going to find my Savior. Enough with shallow living. Enough with casualness. Enough with this foolish false Christian life that we Americans have ensconced in our hearts. Enough of this. Let's get serious about Jesus. He says, Many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. He's not speaking here about pagan people. He's talking about people who call themselves followers of his. And he's saying many of them will not be able to enter in. He continues, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. And then you will say, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets or you taught in our church. But he will say, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evil doers. That is, away from me, 
all of you who did not take seriously my word to you away from me. Away from me, you lawbreakers, you workers of iniquity. Away from me, you evildoers who said one thing with your mouth but did something totally different with your time and your energy and your money. You didn't seek after me. I don't know you because you never spent the time with me. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand? We're going to be in our bodies. This is going to be real stuff, not ghost stuff. You're going to stand before God in your body. And you're going to hear, no, you cannot enter because of what you're doing right now. Because of the shallowness of your heart now. Because you would rather watch the television than search the scriptures. Because you don't have time to pray. No, you don't have the interest to pray. You don't feel a need to pray. You have no concern about babies being murdered. You have no concern about the North Korean Christians being slaughtered. You have no concern about the young people lost and without a shepherd roaming the streets of our cities. You have no concern You see the wickedness and you say, oh, things are bad. And then you go back in your little cocoon and you're comfortable. And you really think Jesus is going to welcome you into the kingdom above? Are you serious? Do you think you're going to get in because you've learned certain theological precepts? When... Most of those are wrong, are heretical. Do you think by saying a little sinner's prayer that Jesus will accept you because you say you accepted Jesus? Are you, can you really believe that? When you pray, do you see things change in the physical realm? Does God answer your prayers? Or your prayers a exercise like a yoga exercise? Are your prayers a, a ritualized form of self-comfort? Or do your prayers reach the courtroom of God? And does he answer? Does he speak with you? Does he give you direction with your life? Do you follow? He goes on. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, you yourselves will be thrown out. People will come from the east, the west, the north, the south, and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last, who shall be first. You know, I read these passages of Scripture like this one from Luke 13. 
say, Lord, Lord, Matthew saying that the love of most will grow cold. I've watched as most who call themselves Christians in America have turned cold toward Jesus. No crying out, no weeping, no agonizing, just working to survive and take care of business and add to an already full life a little sentimental Jesus, a little sugar cookie Jesus. And go to church and enjoy a little fellowship and a little entertainment, some nice music. Do you think that's enough? Is that really what you think? I don't have time to talk you through it today, but if you look carefully at Matthew 25, where Jesus begins to hand out property that he's entrusting to people, giving five talents of money to one and two talents to another and one talent, each according to his ability. Well, what have we done with what Jesus has given us? There's only one commission, and that commission is to be a fisher of men. And so the produce that Jesus is looking for are souls that are saved for the kingdom of God. He's given you the ability to win those 10 people. Have you won them? Or he gives you the ability to win that one person. Have you won that one person to Jesus? Well, I don't know how to do that, Pastor. You don't know how to pray? You mean you can't affect the physical realm by going via the prayer closet? Come on. It's time to grow up. You don't even have to talk to somebody to win them to Jesus. You just have to pray. Frankly, we also need to speak as the Holy Spirit gives us utterance. We're almost out of time for this broadcast today. I want to tell you this very simply, please. Jesus Christ is the only answer to your heart's condition. And if you don't begin to acknowledge the rags of your life as a wealthy American, and believe me, every one of you listening to this broadcast is wealthy compared to those of other nations. You live on more than a dollar a day or two dollars a day. Are you willing to begin to pray and ask Jesus to show you the rags of your life? And are you willing to ask him to show you what to do about those rags? It's your call. Now, I do want to address some very specific needs. The greatest need we have right now is for revival. 
And because of that, we have made the decision to offer on Monday evening with All Saints Anglican Church a revival meeting. The focus of that meeting is to bring you into a recognition of your rags and to call you to repentance. It is not a meeting meant to satisfy your desire for some tidbit or nugget of information that will make you feel good. It is by very design to help you understand what the rags of your life are and then what to do about those rags in repentance and getting clean with God. If your heart is convicted today and you need to get right with God, then please come on Monday night to the All Saints Anglican Church. It's located in Woodbridge, Virginia, right off 95 South. It's 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Now, if you made a pledge last month, and you're able, would you keep that pledge to Jesus? And in the meantime, we're $300 short on pledges for next month. I'm sorry, for last month. Would you pray that that money will come? And if you're able to give it, would you step forward and help? You can do that by going to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. Or you can send a check to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I also invite you to go to the web and go to the Revival website. It's revivalnow.church. Not revivalnow.com. It's revivalnow.church. There you'll find all of the information about our Monday night meetings. Would you please pray about whether you're supposed to be there? And would you pray that God will move in these meetings with power and give birth to revival in our nation's capital. It's time to get right with Jesus. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I was reading to you today from Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, 1678, first published. And the edition I was reading from was edited by C.J. Lovick, and I'm using it by permission. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you move in the hearts of your people today to bring deep conviction, exposing the rags, and causing men and women to begin to cry out to you, to search after you with all of their hearts. Lord, I worship and praise your mighty name and trust you now to do an awesome work of revival in this city and in the churches of this city, turning us from our wicked ways. 
Come, Lord Jesus, and meet us. Thank you, Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of God.